Hello everyone and welcome back to the Tiny Activist Podcast. My name is Alyssa and I will be your host. If you're new here, this is a podcast where we interview local activists on their journey and look at their local work addressing various world issues faced by both humanity and the environment. I hope to equip you with relevant knowledge, resources, and tools so that you can go out into the world and help make it a better place. Welcome back to this episode of the Tiny Activist Podcast. My name is Alyssa and I'll be your host. I'm sorry, I know it's been such a long time since we last released an episode, but it was just really busy with summer. And then I just started my master's, but it has kind of reawakened my motivation for this podcast. So we're back and I'm super excited about today's episode. Before we start, I just wanted to acknowledge the Anishinaabe Waki, Haudenosaunee, Mississauga, and Attawandrunk peoples who have lived, cultivated, and prospered on the land that I am on for thousands of years. I want to acknowledge the sufferings and tribulations that Indigenous peoples have experienced and continue to experience from the colonization of this land and commit this podcast to bringing awareness to the continued injustices faced by Indigenous peoples. So today I am joined by a good friend and fellow sustainability guru, Hamza Ahmed. Hamza is currently in his last year studying BMOS at Western University, but he also recently began Fromza Farms, which is an innovative urban farm that specializes in microgreens and baby greens production. Um, He's also very interested in topics related to obviously urban farming, cryptocurrencies, and sustainability. Welcome, Hamza. Thanks, Alyssa, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I'm so excited for you to be here, too. Um, So let's just get kind of right into it. How did you become interested in sustainability and climate change? And what has your personal journey been like um, in relation to sustainability? Obviously, so it's like I've just been interested in sustainability and climate change because it's pretty evident that we only have one planet so far. So far, I said that just because, you know, how you see like Elon Musk, like all those guys uh, <laughs> trying to race to space. Maybe they find another one, but I'm not I'm not being hopeful or anything. Um, but like basically, we just have one planet with a certain number of resources. And if we don't utilize them, like make it more efficient so that we're not actually wasting anything, just a bunch of those things, you know, like just making the most of what we have at a rate that's affordable. So since I'm like a bit, uh, since I'm a business student, I like thinking of the environment even in terms of business, right? Because that's what um, the expense is basically for a bunch of big corporations. They're succeeding at the expense of the environment. All they're doing, consumption, all that stuff. It just promotes environmental destruction at the end of the day. And as a business student, I can see that, and I don't want to contribute to that. So here I am today and hopefully we can uh, start doing something about it. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I think you have a really unique perspective because like you said, like so many businesses and corporations are profiting at the expense of the environment. So it's nice. It's refreshing to hear business students who aren't playing into that, um, that narrative. So exactly like, for, yeah. sorry, I, I just have like another thing that might be good for that. Um, like when I was in first, second, third year, I actually really wanted to go into like banking, consulting, all those types of industries, because who in business school doesn't want to do that, right? But at the end of the day, you're going to be sitting in an office or like in at home now, I guess, if you're working from home for hours on end, just trying to make other people more money. And I, I feel personally, I feel that there's already so many smart people going into those fields that 
there's so many other industries that are lacking now because of that, because everyone just wants to go into investment banking or consulting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of like your, your cryptocurrency. Um, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to. Yeah, for sure. We can. Um, also I just wanted to know, because I know this about you, um, what kind of stuff have you done personally on a personal level towards sustainability? Hinting at your shampoo. Uh, <laughs> so I actually make my own shampoo bars. I've been doing that for about over a year now. I source like all my products uh, from online. Unfortunately, I need to find the local store that does that. So I'm not paying shipping and transport and all that stuff. Um, but basically the ingredients are like, just like, um, like soap nuts and like a bunch of different fruit powders that are actually super good for your hair. I mean, I've been doing it. I haven't lost hair. It still feels clean, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, it's working for me so far and I have no complaints. Another thing like I've actually switched to other than just like solid shampoo is I got like one of those straight razor thingies. Um, so for shaving my face or whatever, I can just use that and replace the blade instead of having to, um, just get a new plastic thingy that goes on to the end with the blades. This way I just must plastic. Very cool. Okay. And now moving on to kind of some of your, um, innovative business endeavors, you just started from the farms. So, you know, how did you, how, wh what happened? Like, what was your vision for, for this business and where do you see it kind of taking off from the next little bit? What's your inspiration for it? Honestly, so when I was in first year, I came across or I had to do this report, actually, that was um, a business idea of some sort that addressed all of the UN's like sustainability goals, like the SDGs and whatnot. And for me, I thought that hydroponic farming would be great for this. Like It's really good for the environment and um, it's just not that developed yet. And it needs to be because the amount of fertile soil uh, we have now today, it's like depreciating at a pretty fast rate and if we don't start thinking of alternatives of what to do with our land we probably won't have that much food left for that long and i kind of just want to feed people so <laughs> that's my inspiration but like my actual inspiration um is i saw like an article online um that was talking about these companies that are making these shipping container farms right and basically, you can just stack them on top of each other. Elon Musk's brother, he actually has one as well. I can't remember what the name is, uh, but Kimball Musk, um, he has this uh, shipping container farming business as well. And you can just stack them on top of each other, make them modular, send them to places that need food fast, that need fresh food, and that are paying too much for transportation for food. And um, it can just give us so, like food that's so much healthier and whatnot. And that's just why I'm like so passionate about hydroponic farming and more specifically urban farming, I guess. And um, like the more urban farming we have, the more secure our food supply is, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is a big thing that, you know, hasn't been talked about or honestly, like, I feel like I'm engaged in like the sustainability scene a little bit, but like urban farming, isn't one of like the top priorities that people are are, are tackling, but I think it's going to be super important as the population grows and as like there's less arable land and stuff like that. So that's really amazing that, um, you started this business. So where do you see the business like taking off in the next couple of years? Like what is your growth plan? 
So for me, I started this business because I just wanted to get started in the urban farming uh, like industry, I guess. And I didn't really want to wait around. So I'm back at Western now. And I just started off from the farms for the summer because if I want to do something, I'm going to start working on it like as soon as possible, basically, just so that I can start building towards what I want. And what I want is have a bunch of shipping container farms and like be able to like send them to places that need it, send them to places that are paying like extremely high prices for just shipping of their food and not the food itself or and all that. Like that's just what I want to do as the end goal, hopefully. And um, just like slowly expand this industry, bring more light to it, bring more attention to it. Maybe even like have like a community or something, a community garden. So the residents of a community would have access to all the fresh produce that would be grown in the farms. One thing that I have noticed though, when it comes to these urban farming companies is companies like the grocer that's actually based in Ottawa. There's another one called Freight Farm that's based in the US. Um, all these companies, they're charging a lot for their shipping container farms, like a lot, a lot of money, like to the point where it's not really affordable for that many people. For example, I think the grocer charges $180,000 for one of their units. And like the thing is, you can get a ship, a huge shipping container and outfit the inside for less than $30,000 wow. with what you want to do. So I kind of want to be in this space providing a more affordable option to people because I realistically don't want to sell one for 50, like for 180,000. That's just too much money. No one's really going to be looking at that, you know? They people want things that are accessible and I want to provide that accessibility to them. Nice. Yeah. And you mentioned SDGs and I feel like this plan or like kind of what your vision is can tackle multiple at once. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Exactly. Especially the affordability and accessibility point is super important, especially if you're doing urban farming in large urban cities where like you have varying ranges of socioeconomic status and stuff like that. And it'll be super important. Um, Another yeah. thing about urban farming, that's actually really cool I find um, that was tackling one of the SDGs of the UN is that it saves a lot of water compared to traditional farming. So traditional farming because you're actually watering um, the soil and then the soil is what transports the nutrients through the roots to the plant right but when it comes to urban farming and if you're more specifically looking at hydroponics themselves um, hydroponics is where the roots are directly exposed to the water and the water has nutrients in them. So the roots are directly just taking up as much water as they need. And the rest of the water just gets recirculated back into the system. So all of it's used instead of just some laying in the soil and wasting our clean, fresh water. Wow. Yeah. And just even like land use, um, mm-hmm. greenhouse gas emissions, like. Exactly. Insane. Yeah. Amazing. Um, okay. Moving on to another favorite plant of yours <laughs> on the, on the, um, well, is there anything else you want to say about urban farming before we move on to uh, the next topic? Um, nothing else I'd like to add on to that. But if you guys don't know what urban farming is, I'd recommend you like go on YouTube, learn more about it. It's really interesting. It's really cool as well. So, yeah, yeah. I love I love how passionate you are about it. Um, anyways, moving on to your other plant. <laughs> um, you've mentioned to me we've had multiple conversations about um, hemp and its diverse potential uses. 
Um, would you mind kind of just describing like this hemp industry and like the innovation potential that is there and why it might be a good alternative for like plastics, for example? So hemp actually has a pretty interesting history. Um, it actually used to be used really like quite often in the past for a bunch of different things, but more specifically uh, canvas. Most canvas back in the day used to be made out of hemp, hemp fibers. And that's where the name actually comes from. So canvas coming from the name cannabis, hemp and marijuana, like a lot of people get the idea that hemp and marijuana are the same thing, but they're not. It's like comparing a dog and a wolf. Like, yeah, they're both like four-legged animals or like that, or they're both part of the same species, but they're different animals, right? In the same way, hemp and marijuana are different, but because of that association, it just gets a lot of slack and it hasn't really been able to progress and be used to the full potential it has. And it's, it's honestly super frustrating for me because I've learned so much about hemp in the past like year and I just want to see it like do super well. For example, like hemp compared to cotton, like you can make clothes out of hemp, right? And the thing about these clothes is that they're all super antimicrobial. They're better for you. You can't use um, artificial dyes or anything on them, only natural dyes, but you can still dye it. That's a thing. And the best part about hemp is that its yield is three times greater than that of cotton. They did like a study of this a couple of years ago. You guys can look it up uh, while you're listening to this. And um, the yield was three times greater than that of cotton. And what that means for fast fashion itself is that we can still wear clothes and whatnot that are made of natural fibers rather than synthetic fibers, such as polyester, nylon, all of those. And we can contribute less to greenhouse gas emissions through the destruction of less land, three times less land, meaning we can use that much more land for food. Mm -hmm. Wow. Like, yeah, when I remember we've had multiple conversations about this and I, he, um, Hamza sent me like Ted talks and stuff. And I just like had no idea, um, about, about hemp and the, the whole industry. I don't know if you want to get into, like, you were telling me about the history of hemp and kind of why it hasn't, what, like the barriers that have been facing it actually progressing in industry. In terms of history of hemp, Hemp used to be super commonly used around the U.S. And it was at one point, it was a requirement for every farmer in the U.S. to grow at least an acre of it, I believe. It was either that or 10 acres, but it was every farmer had to do it or they would get like fined or something. That was how important hemp was to the economy back then. Then fast forward to, I believe it's the 50s or 60s, 1950s. Um, and hemp and marijuana are both made illegal in the U United States. Hemp, even though it doesn't get you high, it's CBD. CBD is used by medicine, used as medicine by so many people, like for glaucoma, for pain, for a bunch of different things. And um, just the crackdown on marijuana made growing hemp in the United States illegal. And that has hurt the industry a lot. Like it's still illegal in half the states. So what's happening in the U.S. right now is a lot of these uh, companies that want to go greener and start using bioplastics and whatnot, make homes out of hemp because you can use that for concrete as well as a concrete replacement. Um, 
what's happening now is that the price is so high because you can't grow it in the US. So you have to import it. And when you're, since you're importing it, you're just paying a lot of money for shipping. So that's why I think the industry just isn't as developed, but to see it be more developed, I think we need to start supporting more uh, brands that actually make products out of hemp. Like there's this one big South, South African company, I believe called uh, Hemporium. Um, that's one among many, but hemp uh, is the future, I believe. With the use of hemp, and if we fully like maximize its potential, we could be living in a society that's sucking in more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere if we use hemp for a bunch of different things and replace it. Um, we could be using, or we could be sucking in more carbon dioxide than we are letting out making our carbon footprint net negative. And that's just why I'm so passionate about hemp because the potential is endless. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea until you started talking about it. Um, but it makes sense because, you know, during the fifties and sixties when they were doing like the war, I don't know if that's when the war on drugs was, but, but when they started banning like marijuana and stuff, like even when I told my friends mm -hmm. that we were going to be talking about hemp, they're like, Oh, marijuana. I was like, no. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like I remember uh, when my mom first bought hemp or hemp hearts. Uh, I don't know if you've had them. They're mm -hmm. like hemp seeds, basically. And they actually have more omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids than fish oils. So yes. who needs fish oils? Let, let's just uh, have hemp hearts, you know? Like mm -hmm. we can save the fish. Go watch Seaspiracy if you haven't yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. And I, and I think the cool thing about hemp too is that it, it covers many different sectors and could be you know, many different replacements, like, as you mentioned. Exactly. Like, yeah, like the, like hempcrete, that's uh, what the concrete replacement is for hemp. And uh, that's actually made from the fibers of the stalk of the plant. And there's actually a warehouse made in England using this material and it saved them approximately 90% of heating and cooling costs, like afterwards, because wow. um, the material or the hempcrete itself was just so breathable really good for you it absorbed all the toxins in the air and whatnot compared to um concrete wow it's amazing yeah i mm -hmm. feel like something yeah just interesting even that i've been learning in my past week in my masters is that we have so many solutions and there's so much so much work in all of these different like hemp or urban farming mm -hmm. or just like decarbonizing electricity like there's so much out there it's just not being implemented in the right way and um we're going to get to it but government and you know policies and stuff are really not up to speed with where they need to be um if we're going to make a positive impact. Exactly. hundred percent. I, I believe that. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, honestly, I'm such a big cryptocurrency fan because the state of our world is because of the government, right? Like basically everything bad that's going on in terms of climate change is because of people in power exploiting the environment for their own financial gain. And that's what capitalism is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into crypto. Feel, let's yeah, get into let's get it. into crypto. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what in terms of crypto, I what I want to say is like our current financial economic system, whatever, that's based on a centralized environment, right? I'll I'm gonna be talking about like the US dollar in this case, because I feel like that's a more global approach and uh it's just easier 
to talk about as a currency because it's one of the biggest currencies in the world, the biggest economy in the world. So um, in terms of the US dollar, right, all of that money is controlled by the central bank. And central banks and all that stuff, um, they talk a lot about, or sorry, they don't talk a lot, but um, they are the ones that basically decide as us, the people, how we're spending our money. They want to have us spend or saving more money. They'll increase the interest rates so that we're saving more money in our savings account. And we just go off of that. Everything moves off of that centralization. But in terms of cryptocurrencies, if you step away from that and decentralize yourself, you're basically taking away the power that these centralized centralized agencies have over you. And everyone can be their own individual agent. For example, in terms of cryptocurrencies, like a lot of people think it's just like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and there and the news doesn't really help with that because the news just kind of makes it scary. Like, oh, it's gone up this much. Oh, it's gone up this much. It's about to crash. Like that's that's what I see on the news, honestly. And I don't even watch the news personally anymore as a source of information. I would much rather check Twitter for like real time information. Obviously, you have to be wary of like all the misinformation on these social media platforms and whatnot, because that is a huge risk as well. But as long as like the person you're following, the person whose thoughts or comments you're engaging with, they're trustworthy, you've been following them for a while, and like you can see through their arguments or not even see through them, but like just like see it in all its entirety. Um, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Cool. I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, you're talking about <laughs> kind of like decentralizing and like once you step away. And then you okay. were talking so, about media. I think that was a little tangent, but anyways, yeah, decentralized okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. institutions. So back to decentralization, right? Once us people, our, our, our money, it's sitting in our banks, right? I went to my bank a while ago, this summer actually, to try and withdraw all my money from my bank account and transfer it into my cryptocurrency account. Because in cryptocurrency, I can just have all my money as like a digital Canadian dollar. And it's worth the same. It's going to be worth the same always as the as an actual Canadian dollar, but just digitized. And um, a lot of people don't understand that there's these tools out there um, that are willing to just get your money out of the centralized system, giving you more power or giving you more ownership to it. For example, like when you deposit your money in a bank account, there's this thing called the reserve ratio that they have to meet. And most banks, their reserve ratio is only like 10%, meaning that all the deposits they get, they only have to keep 10% of that money and uh, they can loan out the rest, use it for, a, use it basically to make themselves more money, right? And these same banks and institutions are the ones that make money off of us and then start funding these big corporations that are exploiting the environment. For example, oil. Oil is huge. Oil is mostly supported by big banks and whatnot. They've got huge stakes in oil, right? Mm -hmm. So the way to tackle climate change is through cryptocurrencies, I believe, because if you take away the power that the governments have over your money, over you, then you're basically freeing our, or yourselves and um, society from them just basically putting our money in places where we don't want it to be. Cool. And I just have a follow-up. Um... I've heard some things and like, I'm not in, like, I don't know much about crypto or like really the business world. I've been trying to work on my financial literacy, but 
um, some things I thought I read that we're talking about how cryptocurrency has a large carbon footprint. Can you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? Or is it even comparable to like the banks, like you said, um, providing money to these fossil fuel industries? And what do you, what are your thoughts? The way, the way, the, the way I see it. Um, yeah. Depending on the cryptocurrencies, because there's some cryptocurrencies that are say proof of stake which basically means they, the whoever made that cryptocurrency, they released all of the tokens of it uh, once, right? And um, like everyone has, these tokens are out on the open market now and people can buy and sell them. But then there's tokens like proof of work tokens, which are the ones that actually require mining. So say Bitcoin, if even Ethereum right now, that's a proof of work token until like it gets upgraded which it's supposed to uh, in about six months. So it's no longer proof of work and it's more environmentally friendly because that's proof of work is when you need all those big computers, uh, all like consuming energy to try and like make more Bitcoin or make more Ethereum right now. But as we progress, um, there's more and more cryptocurrencies coming out that don't have a proof of work and they are sticking with proof of stake because it uses less energy. And the way I see it, I think by promoting the use of these cryptocurrencies, we're going to have less and less people keep keeping their money in their centralized banks. Right. And I think that's going to have a bigger effect than just saying that cryptocurrency is bad for the environment and not trying to decouple away from the centralized ec- economy. This is kind of actually related to cryptocurrencies as well and NFTs in that regard. So I was in like a Twitter spaces. It was just like an open uh, floor thing. People were talking about NFTs and the future of NFTs. A lot of people are just like, yeah, they're bad for the environment. They're, um, they're just like another way of like get, making easy money in crypto or whatever. That's people's perception of it. But the thing that I learned from the spaces is that I was in a space with a bunch of musical artists from all over the world. There was this one guy from Indonesia, one guy from India in there. And basically what he said was that he had like a small time band that was uh, trying to make it big. And they actually had some uh, songs that were good. They were getting plays and everything, but they sold the rights to those songs to some uh, big music agency. And they haven't actually seen a dollar. Like they haven't seen any money from that because those big agencies are just exploiting these small artists. And um, what NFTs do actually is they give power to these small artists so that they can make their own money. People can start listening to them. And every time they listen to them, they would just directly get the money and none of their agents, none of that. Like a lot of this agency stuff is like quite predatory, especially like if you think about it, like you're a young artist trying to make it big you're going to sign with an agent because he says he knows what he's doing. And then you just get screwed over afterwards. So like a lot of this crypto stuff, it actually helps people a lot. And um, I just, I think that it's a lot better than what we have today. Mm -hmm. It's just about the divestment away from all the other things that are going to be effective in my opinion, rather than just canceling crypto. Right. Okay. So moving from this centralized economy, and if you didn't um, <laughs> kind of get the anti-capitalist vibes already, we're going to get into it. Um, now, I know as um, probably listeners know, or depending on when you're listening to this, the federal election is approaching very soon. Um, 
what are your thoughts on that? I know you've talked a little bit about um, moving away from the government because um, they don't necessarily have the best interest of the environment um, in their minds. So what, like, what are your thoughts? So the way I see it for us in Canada, um, I mean, we've got a pretty important election coming up quite soon. And I don't know why it's this early, to be honest, but uh, we just election. need to, we, we kind of just, can't have uh, the conservatives in power if we care about climate change. Like I was looking at Aaron O'Toole's uh, statement regarding the Keystone pipeline. And he was, he said he was devastated. Like, come on, if you care about the climate, don't vote conservative. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. Yeah. Like, even the liberals, like I'm like, you, like a lot of people say they're like fiscally conservative and whatnot. That doesn't matter. Money's not real. Money's <laughs> made up. Like Richard Nixon took the U.S. dollar off the gold standard in the 80s. Ever since then, money is just perceived value because you've attached value to it. Right. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually today I had a class and we talked a little bit about the platforms and the conservative platform. It actually has moved backwards um, in regards to targets that they um, are proposing to be aligned with the Paris Agreement. And that's actually apparently not allowed. Um but in terms really? of really, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's not legally it's not legally binding. So the only you know slap on the wrist if the conservatives get elected would be naming and shaming. So you know, mm-hmm. just on the international stage, calling out Canada for not having good emission targets. But I mean, you know, exactly. And uh, even like other than the conservatives, like I love the NDP, but my only concern with voting NDP is will they win and will they have majority government because I've been like doing a lot of reading and from what I've understood it's more most likely that it would be like a coalition government between the NDP and the conservatives or something like that rather than not having the conservatives at all Hmm. you know what I mean Hmm. and um like the riding I'm in I would love to vote for NDP but they genuinely have no chance of winning in that I'm based from Oakville so you can kind of get the vibe everyone's fiscally conservative yeah yeah and I'm not trying to make this podcast um political but climate change is political and so like these is this is why we need to talk about it and the election is 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 very important in terms of the next four years and what climate change in Canada is going to look like exactly so I'd say depending on your writing like there's like if you haven't heard of like strategic voting like that's a big thing as well. Depending on your writing, like I'd say do whatever you can to not let the conservatives win. Respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone, I don't know when this when people will be listening to this, but if you don't know how to vote, please reach out or look it up online. There's so many different ways to um, um, to vote. And it's really important. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but it's very important that we we play a role in what's going to happen, even though it might seem insignificant. Um, you know, the government and policy yeah. is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, for example, like just get out, vote, use your voice. It's it's really simple. Like I voted four years ago. It was it was quite easy. You can do it too. Yeah, you can do it too. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyways, um, is there anything else you wanted to say about, um, that or in relation to crypto or anything? Um, 
I guess in terms of like government, oil, and climate change, I guess I guess I could touch on like nuclear power and uh, the hopes for that I have. Like nuclear power since the Fukushima, since Nagasaki, all of that stuff has tarnished the image that nuclear energy has, right? In terms of like society, people are scared of nuclear power plants and whatnot now because they're scared it's going to blow up. But the thing is, ever since the 60s, 70s, there's been so much development and advancement in these technologies happening that it's actually insane how carbon neutral they are. Like they don't use any or they don't really have a carbon footprint. The only thing that is there is the waste. But now there's technologies coming out that are actually using the waste and converting that into other things like diesel and whatnot. So um there's actually this company, I can't remember the name. I think it was Westinghouse. Uh, they made a generate a nuclear power plant that was converting um, the waste of these uh, reactors of the uranium into diesel, water, and I can't remember. There's one more thing, but it was really interesting how that worked. And Bill Gates has a company trying to advance nuclear energy. There's a lot of money going into it, but the only the thing is it just requires divestment away from oil and um industries that you're using fossil fuels and um that's why it's just so important to get out there vote and hopefully we can save the planet yeah wow so inspirational um my last question for you hamza is what advice would you give to someone who's just becoming aware or interested in in some of the, the topics that we've discussed today um, and they want to get involved or take action in their own community um, so what I'd recommend is honestly, if any of these topics seem interesting to you, go on YouTube, find like a TED talk, because that's honestly where I get all of my stuff from. I love TED talks. I love watching them. They're just so like full of ideas and whatnot. So get on YouTube, learn more about it. So like if anyone asks you something about it, you don't sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you can just start like, for example, like I started from the farms because in the summer of like going into my fourth year at Western because I just wanted to get started and have like an urban farming business when I'm older. So I say just get started and then don't like really worry about like how you're going to do it, whatnot. Like I feel like that all just like flows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you enjoy what you're doing and you're passionate about it, it's going to work. Boom. I, I 100% agree. Same thing with this podcast. You just got to get started and then the rest will fall into place. Exactly. Amazing. Like what oh, is this like episode six now? Like yeah. Amazing. It's been a while, huh? Yeah, it's, it's been, been going a while. on for some time now. Yeah, it's um, been over a year, but I hadn't released um, a new episode in like, I don't know, four or five months. It was just um, busy. And, you know, there's a lot of things going on and a lot of issues in the media. And like, sometimes it can be like really overwhelming. But I, I with this master's, I found like a newfound inspiration so i'm like ready to go mm -hmm. and like let's go let's see what we can do with this podcast so yeah thank you so much for being on the the first episode back hamza if people want to like contact you or like follow you on social media would you mind um plugging that yeah you, yeah you can like follow me uh my instagram is at fromza it's like hamza but with an fr <laughs> instead of the h I hope that I made that easy for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll link it. I'll link it down below too. And I'll link um, from the farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where are you guys um, shipping to? Like all over Ontario right now? Or what is the... Um, 
So right now with Fromsa Farms, like since I'm back at Western now, mm. I actually just put that on hold. Mm. Um, not doing that for a while, I guess, until I'm done with school. And then once I'm done, I'll start it back up again. Awesome. But that's why I, I, that's why I just started it. Cause like I knew I was going to be going back to school, but um, like, it's good to have something to like just start again when I'm back in Oakville. Exactly. Amazing. Thank you so much, Hamza, for being on this episode. We covered so much, but um, I think it was a great episode. I was glad to be here. Yeah. And um, I was honestly honored. Thanks. I, I'm honored that you wanted to be on this. And thanks for being so great. Thank you, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tiny Activist Podcast. I love creating content for you guys. As this is my first time making a podcast and using this platform, I would love it if you left a comment, review, or suggestion. If you like what you heard, please subscribe for more content. And you can also follow us on social media at Tiny Activist Podcast on Instagram and at Tiny underscore podcast on Twitter to stay up to date on episodes, guest speakers, and more. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time.